Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. Well, you're in for a little bit of a treat today. I'm going to have a conversation here with someone I have wanted to put on the podcast for quite a while, my good friend, Tim Hodges. Now, Tim's going to introduce himself and explain all the great things that he does. But one of the things I really wanted you to hear about was how to use the Gallup Strength Finder to build empathy, how to use it to be a better leader, and then learn all of the different research components that are coming out from Gallup on workplace engagement and how to work with employees, your family, and even grow yourself. This conversation with Tim was recorded a couple of weeks ago, and Tim is going to be on the podcast two to three times a year now to help all of us as we move forward with our leadership. Just as a reminder, each of us is a buffalo that charges into the storms that we are facing in order to get through what's bothering us quickly. And we do that with two guiding behaviors. First, being empathetic and trying to understand the position of the person in front of us without judgment. And second, through reflection. This conversation between Tim and I is going to offer you an awful lot of opportunities to grow in your empathy and more importantly, reflect upon what you need to do as a person, a leader, a parent, a friend, a boss, whatever, in order to grow and be better for others. All right, welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend, Tim Hodges, who's coming to us from Lincoln, Nebraska. And Tim is someone who I met uh, years back when working around engagement and strengths. And I'm gonna let Tim do his professional introduction here, but Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ted. It's great to be with you. I've I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time and it's fun to, fun to be a part of it today. Um, yeah, my introduction, I, in a world where people complain about work, I have two really awesome jobs. Uh, one of them is as an assistant professor of management at the University of Nebraska, where I'm also the executive director of the Clifton Strengths Institute. My other job is a continuation of my 20 plus year career with the Gallup organization. So when things are a little slower at the university, I jump in and help out with things at Gallup and, um, love both of my jobs. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at these days. That is fantastic. So tell me or tell us a little bit about like, where did you grow up? How do you, how do you work your way to becoming, you know, a Gallup expert <laughs> and a university faculty? So where did you grow up? Yeah. School, family life? What was that all like? Thanks for asking. I, I, uh, it all started on a, on a pig farm outside of Julian, Nebraska. So uh, Julian, if you've never been there, I'm guessing most of your listeners haven't, is a town of 71 people, uh, Southeast Nebraska. Great place to be from. Uh, I learned early on, that someday I wanted to shower before work, not after work. That was one of those early career lessons I I picked up on the farm, but grew up in 4-H and FFA and um, just had family all around us and really, uh, really a great community and and still go back every once in a while to help out on the farm. My dad, my brother, my sister are all involved in, in production agriculture. So I say help in air quotes. I'm not incredibly helpful, but I still know how to drive a tractor and, um, Grew up in a one-room schoolhouse, a uh, little house on the prairie style. So we still had a party line phone, which uh, some people don't know what that is. It was like social media creeping before that was a thing. You'd have people up and down the road listening to your phone calls, and it wasn't even illegal. Uh, so that was the thing we did. Um, 
also had a mimeograph machine, which is that purple ink that kind of before photocopiers and, and so on. So I have some great memories there. I was the only student in my class most years. Um, I was the smartest student in my class most years. Uh, so there were a couple of years where Sally Wheeler showed up and knocked me off the podium, but pretty, pretty great experiences. My brother and sister were both in school most of the years uh, in the same room as me. So even though we were in different grades, same teacher, same room, which created a few discipline opportunities for the teacher. So <laughs> I was that tough in the middle child who got blamed for everything. So was that a K-8 school that you went to, Tim? It was. Yeah, it was a class one school. It's not um, part of Nebraska statute anymore. But at the time, you could have an entire school district that was K-8. And yeah, my dad was on the school board. Uh, we had one teacher who was the entire staff, <laughs> the entire payroll. And I promise whatever she was making, it wasn't enough. And then my mom actually came on Wednesdays and was the music program. Uh, she would break out some some old sheet music on the piano. And that was our culture for the week. So <laughs> now, all in one room. Tim, just to help out with the people listening, what year did you graduate from high school? So graduated high school in 1996. So this would have been, yeah, in the 80s. Right. Most, so yeah. like, because most people 80s. probably think you have white hair and, you know, are 90 years old, but that's not the case. This is a very modern, you know, unique opportunity that that you grew up yeah. going to. It, it really is. I mean, the school, my little sister, a couple of years behind me in school, she was, I think, the last class before they closed down the school. And in total small town Nebraska fashion, I think one of my cousins actually bought the school because we still occasionally have family reunions and things like that. But yeah, it, it was pretty recent. And yeah. it really, I grew up 10 miles from a high school with 100 students in a class and about 10 miles in another direction from a, a similar size town. So um it was it was a great idea when everybody had to walk to school both ways, but um, it probably probably more efficient to consolidate schools at that point. It was a great experience growing up. Yeah, I can only imagine, and the stories that you and your brother and sister can tell for the rest of your lives about all those. <laughs> I mean, it was was there ever a day where it was like this is this is going to be this is going to be remembered forever? Yeah, there was the time when Cliff and Tirza were out behind the propane tank and somebody kissed somebody and we're not sure how it started, but uh, we know it ended with parents being called. So that was a good day. Uh, there was a, <laughs> there's kind of a ring of pine trees around three sides of the property. So we would go out if your homework was done out and, and build the next, the next version of the fort out in the trees. Yeah. And we had, I mean, it was, it was a great experience for sure. That's Every once in a while, the bull snake would come up from the basement and sun himself on the on the front steps, or Sally would flush a roll of toilet paper down the toilet. I mean, there were there were moments that we knew it was going to get interesting, but it was it was yeah, it was great, good memories. I'm I'm not sure how many stories. I don't know about statute of limitations. I'm not an attorney, so those are some I'm willing to share. Yeah, that that that's good enough. That's awesome. So from there, you go off to high school and then off to university. What what did you what did you study in undergrad? Yeah. Well, actually, my high school experience was interesting. So I was the only student in my class, but my brother's class a year ahead of me had five students, all boys. And so I academically, if I could keep up, um, my teacher would just combine the six of us together. So I never officially skipped a grade, but I kind of did eighth grade when I was in seventh grade. So oh. when I went to when I went to school in town, it was an eighth grade and it was kind of academically, I repeated a grade. So like I said, I never officially skipped a grade or repeated a grade, but kind of did eighth grade twice. And so I went from being the only student in my class to having a hundred students in my in my grade. And it, socially, it was an easy transition. I have woo and positivity and relater in my top five on the Clifton Strengths assessment. So it was a great, great opportunity for me to 
transition and, and then went off to the University of Nebraska um, in Lincoln, majored in agribusiness. Uh, we was still at that point thinking I might come back to the farm and uh, was pr- actually my freshman year. I was pretty sure I would come back to the farm, but that kind of mid mid nineties, there was a pretty tough couple of years in agriculture and became pretty clear economically that wasn't going to be an option for me. So um, ended up, uh, ended up needing to pivot a little bit and figure out, uh, figure out what else to do with my life. Wow. And then that led to graduate school, continued learning, and then you end up at University of Nebraska. Yeah, the the part about undergrad that I I didn't mention is um, right about the same time I realized I wasn't going to get to go back home and farm. Uh, there was a guest speaker that walked into a class named Don Clifton, and never had heard this guy. Had no idea what you know he was talking about strengths and positive psychology and employee engagement, leadership development, all things we never talked about on the farm. Uh, but things that were interesting to me, and he had a charisma that was just amazing. So throughout the rest of my undergraduate career, anytime I needed to write a case study about a company, interview a manager, job shadow, I just wore him out at Gallup to the point where in, a, in January of 2000, they put me on the payroll. So it was kind of, I don't remember ever wow. formally interviewing. I think they just felt bad that I showed up so often they decided to pay me. <laughs> so did that for about 20 years. <laughs> and Tell us a little bit about like why, you know, you are such a strong advocate for, you know, strengths finder and and really focusing on the development of others. Yeah. Well, again, to to date myself a little bit, back in 2000, I graduated college and started working at Gallup. Al Gore or somebody hadn't invented the internet really yet. So most things were still phone, paper, pencil, surveys, all that. I was actually part of a pilot group um, that, that, I was one of the guinea pigs that the strengths assessment was developed on. And so, uh, so it was right there. I wasn't intimately involved with the final touches, but I was in the room when it happened. I'll put it that way. So the assessment really went full scale, um, 99 to 2000, but people didn't really know about it until the book, um, now discover your strengths came out in 2001. So really for most of my Gallup career, um, strengths has been a thing that, that Gallup has known, has been known for. And, um, I just got, I mean, I personally had some great experiences in college um, with some coaches and with some people who saw something in me that uh, that I didn't know about myself. And I love that, you know, fast forward 20 years and that's that's the job I get to do now. And and what is that job? Yeah, right. So so I was uh, I was rolling along at Gallup, loving life, loving my work, um, had a friend who had been the uh, founding executive director of a thing in Lincoln called the Clifton Strengths Institute. And my friend Mark had, uh, our families are real intertwined, good friends. And um, I was cheering him on from a distance, but I was consulting with school districts and higher ed institutions, all kinds of companies at Gallup. But Mark called one day and he had had some health problems and and I offered to help out however I could. And he uh, he was just recovering from a heart transplant and had a cancer diagnosis or just a lot of disease challenges going on. And he said, I don't know what my stamina is going to be. Um, would you mind helping teach a class at the university? Well, I'd already said yes to whatever he wanted. When you tell a friend, yes, you just follow through. Right. Well, he unfortunately passed away just a few weeks later. And so my occasional guest lecture turned into being an accidental professor for that fall semester. And then love being back on campus and love the mission of the Clifton Strengths Institute. So over the course of that year, I transitioned into the full-time role um, as executive director and then um, as a management professor. Wow. And, and what, do, what do you now teach? Yeah. So one of my classes is required. Uh, it's the intro to business course that all University of Nebraska business majors take. 
It's an eight week, one credit course, pass, no pass. I do the lecture. And then we've got a recitation uh, section where they're in smaller groups. So 800 students in the, I just finished a few days ago, 800 students in the fall semester uh, took that class. Almost all of them passed. A few of them liked it so much they want to take it again or change their major because it's required. But so that's one of my teaching assignments. And then I also teach in the uh, um, a thing called the Clifton Builders Program, where we identify undergraduate students who have entrepreneurial talent. They want to do something in their community or with a team or start a business. And so we, we have a couple of classes for them. I teach during their sophomore year, sometimes junior year, but in the middle of their undergrad. And then in addition to that, I teach a couple MBA courses. And um, just today, I started a course on behavioral science that for a group of MBA students. So I'm always uh, looking for new opportunities, but it's all around that theme of strengths and leadership development and employee engagement, helping people have great jobs and, and live better lives. And when you get the opportunity to work with individually one-on-one with others, like where where do you help guide them when they're trying to you know, support the leadership of either themselves or other people? Like where where do you suggest they start and and, and what should they focus on? You know, I, I think people are most open to development during times of transition. So I'm always looking for when is someone really ready for, for meaningful development? High school to college is a major transition for almost all of us, right? That's a big identity formation window. So I love that opportunity. I also love coaching people when they're when they're in job transitions or they're preparing for graduation and thinking about what's next. Um, the The core of the work I do is really identifying what's right with a person. And honestly, I see things in them they don't see in themselves. And so a lot of my job is affirming what I see and encouraging that and and building up their confidence so that they can, and their self-awareness, but so then they can go out and and really authentically lean into who they are and, and uh, hopefully find a better job or better opportunity as a result. So anytime people are in transition, I'm interested. And, and when they're in that transition, like what themes emerge for you you know, for so for me, a lot of times when people are either transitioning from middle school to high school, high school to college, college to work, work to work, uh, right, moving through an organization, courage mm-hmm. uh, to, to kind of fight the narratives in their heads. Yeah, something I find a lot of. What 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 do you find? And then what do you do? Well, I was going to say insecurity, but I like your word better. Maybe it's lack of courage, but but it's that imposter syndrome that people deal with. It's that. Um, I've heard it said that uh, you shouldn't worry so much what people are thinking about you because they're probably not, (laughs) you know, but we all, we all worry, um, you know, what do people think and am I enough? And um, I have students come in that are literally like the student of the month for the entire college and they're applying for some internship and they're nervous that, you know, they're not going to get the internship because why would they pick me? And and I'm like, everything you've ever touched, you've been great at. Why wouldn't they pick you? So in a lot of ways I get a, I get to just affirm that in people and, and, Again, it's it needs to be authentic and self-awareness. I'm not just pumping sunshine. I want to make sure it's grounded and real, but also that they they believe that about themselves and and then and then step into that. So yeah, that's that's kind of a theme. And that's that's got to be kind of a powerful interaction to be on the receiving end, right? Because a lot of times people manifest their insecurities, you know, in ways that are like a mental. I, I it creates really weird like cognitive dissonance for me because you're like you just said you're looking at somebody you're talking to somebody who's got all of these great criteria but their insecurities might be the one the things that are driving them yeah when when you see people like that like what what are their strengths like where is there a theme that comes out with that or is it always different you know when i when we talk about strengths i'm generally referring to the clifton strengths the 34 themes i know many of your listeners are probably familiar with that but 
I, I mean, the themes are all over the map. There's not like if you have this theme, then you're probably going to have this issue. Um, there's there's different conversations around different themes, but but it's it's interesting to me. It's true whether it's an undergraduate student or an MBA student. I do some executive coaching for government officials and and for physicians and I mean people in all kinds of walks of life, and and they'll walk in and it, and it's like they've never thought about um, you know who they are in a, in a deep way and what, what need they can solve or what, um, what challenges out there for them. And if they can get clear about what contribution they want to make, I think it's a game changer. If they're, if they're too focused on just the next task, then I'm not sure I'm that helpful, but if we can get them to look up and look out and really see what, what is this all about? What's the point of all this? Then, then we're onto something. And how do you do that? Because, you know, we all know that the, the greatest thing that can happen to anybody is to find purpose in their work and their life. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's what you're talking about. So how, how do you help people see that, you know, and, and what does the research say about guiding that? Because for me, like I am super passionate about owning my own engagement and getting other people to recognize how much control they actually have. Mm-hmm. And yet I still run into some hurdles once in a while that it, the, the hill's just too steep, like for, for certain yeah. people. So how do you approach that? And what, what advice do you have for us? You know, the you've had Dan Pink on your podcast before. I mean, he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I I think there's something there's something real, real key to each of those. But there's a there's a real theme around agency or just ownership for your situation. Um, it's that, you know, there's some people who just feel like the world's out to get them and and there's a rain cloud falling around. And and I get it. I work with some people who've been through some hard stuff. They're going through some hard stuff. But but some people see that and they say, this is just a season and how can I grow through this challenge? And other people just hide hide under the couch. And some days I'm not sure which role I would play, but but from where I sit and from having experienced this a lot, the people who are most successful are the ones who have some sense of agency, belief in who they are, and and they understand they can't just will their way to a victory. They got to put in the work. And once once they say they're ready, I'm in. I I've got I've got four kids in my house and um they know that the worst thing they can do is act entitled about anything. You know, you didn't <laughs> you, you need to put it in the work and if you're working as hard as you can, I I'm glad with the outcomes that you get. I mean, the outcome I'm after is that your character grows in the process, not that you get an A on every test or you ACACT or whatever. It's great if you want to do that. College is right. expensive and we got a bunch of kids, but but I really care about effort and if if somebody I'm coaching or a student I'm working with believes they can, they're an active role in their, in their, you know, in their existence, right. That, that they're going to willing, they're willing to put in the work, then, then we're onto something. And when you, when you have that kind of cool confluence that happens when you get to have that conversation, like just like at home as a dad, how, how are you employing your knowledge base to, to support your kids? Well, in the event my kids ever listen to this, I'm going to be careful here, but, but they, um, they're, they're, you know, I'm I'm always looking for um, what's your role in this situation. Who are you at your best? Where where's all this headed? And I got some great parenting advice from a, a leader I really admire who said, "Later is longer." I mean, it's easy to get dragged into the day to day, and and uh, you know, we've got two in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school, and um, there's a lot that they're going through. Working with first year students at the university again, lots of things they're going through, and to I might look at it now and they say they're so busy and they've got, you know, three hours of class and a intramural basketball game today. And they're just overwhelmed with that. And objectively, I look at that and say, 
you've got 18 hours of discretionary time today. But in their lived experience, it's heavy and it's real and emotionally it's a lot. So I try and I try and catch them where they are. I don't always do it right, but especially with my own kids. I mean, I'm I'm practicing on them all the time. But um, of course, we assess our kids and find out where their potential is, and then try and adjust our parenting style accordingly. Um, I've got a, a our high school seniors got competition number one. Um, I don't, and so I'm learning a lot about what it means to compare yourself to others and how that motivates him in different ways. And um, it just yeah, it's a it's real individualized. Uh, Don Clifton used to say people are messy. And I think that's pretty profound. There's just a lot of unique ways to live a life. And I'm just curious. And that gets me through most days. Well, and I think two things that you just said that are, I think, uh, very important for people to recognize all the time in whatever role we're in. One is that, you know, the people in front of us are are ultimately going to have to make their own decisions and we can only support the guidance of it and not, not really own their success because they have to. But I, I love the, people are messy component because that's that's what keeps us going because people yeah. need uh, love and support and, and grace and mercy, uh, especially yeah. at home. So I know Tim, I do. <laughs> yeah, so do I. For, but I think both of us have talked about having very forgiving and accepting wives. Um, Summer Megan's one of my favorites, yes. Summer <laughs> Megan, yeah. Yeah, big fan, big, big fan. Of the I've never podcast. met Megan outside of the summer, so I know yeah. I like that one though. Oh, she's pretty <laughs> awesome. Well, and I'll tell you this, Tim, don't worry about your kids listening to this. My children have never listened to the podcast and they're basically on it every other week. Um, so so let's talk about two two other topics here. One is what are the top five, top five strengths that, mm. that regularly come out across the world or our country? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Gallup's released some data on that over the years. Some of the most common themes, achiever has been pretty common. Learner has been pretty common. Um, in in other, and those are global database and the global database, it's, it's definitely more than the United States. Probably, I'm, I'm going to make this up, but around 20 million of the 25 million um, are probably in the U.S., but several million outside the U.S. So that's still pretty good sample size on, on most scoreboards. We've noticed some trends in different countries, but I'm not sure their actual trends of differences by culture as much as it is who had access to the assessment. So, Mm -hmm. for example, if you go to China, there's more strategic thinking themes that showed up in the database early on. But I'm not sure that means there's more people with strategic thinking talent in China as a percentage. I think what that means is people who had access to the Internet and a book and, you know, were interested in their personal development in China, which is a tiny fraction of the population overall. So there's probably... If we were able to do random samples of populations, I'd have a better answer. But there are some themes that come through a little more common in the database, but that doesn't mean they're more important or less important than others. It just right. just means they show up a little more often. To me, it's interesting how um, how alike people are in the database. Um, Gallup released some some results after 25 million had completed here, you know, a couple of years ago, and it's amazing how little of our likelihood to have a certain theme is based on things like race or gender or age. It's a small percentage overall. And um, it's amazing how just unique people are. And and all those things, race and gender, age, all those things matter, but they don't predict what your themes will be. We're, it seems like the the themes are pretty evenly distributed across the population. Um, you know, some themes are more common than others, but um, just being male doesn't cause you to have a higher likelihood of having a certain theme or uh, being African American doesn't, or whatever. It seems like they're pretty evenly distributed. And what's the inverse? What are the five, three or four, or five that that 
are, are the rarities. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've looked at it, but I know discipline is pretty rare. Oh. Um, significance. I'm tends sorry, to be- what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't even know. I, there are 34. I'm sure I only got 33 scored back. <laughs> yeah. Discipline is that conscientiousness and there's, yeah, there's probably not enough of it in the world overall, but um, anyway, discipline shows up rare. Um, significance is a little bit lower. Um yeah, and, and it, but in different populations, certain themes tend to emerge. In the College of Business now at UNL, we've we've had over 6,000 students come through. Competition is the number one most common theme. It's kind of middle of the road in the overall database. But I don't know if, if students who are attracted to a degree at a Big Ten business school are more likely to be competitive than the other students on campus or there's – we're still kind of studying that um, – Restorative has showed up quite a bit lately. Um, restorative is is about wanting to put things back to health or restore them, fix them. I think we've screwed up a lot of things, and I'm glad our students are interested in restoring it back to health. Um, adaptability is pretty common on campus at UNL, and uh, again, I, that's I have theme envy about adaptability. I tend to get more focused, but adaptability is just that that opportunity to roll with the punches and adjust and pivot and all those other words we're tired of saying these days. And uh, our students seem pretty resilient. I love, I love theme envy because that (laughs) my, my next question for you is how do you effectively use strength finder to support like team building and empathy amongst the team opposed to my, my number one irritant or, or pet peeve around strength finder on occasion is people will justify their behavior by throwing a strength out there. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not this and I'm that, and that's why I have to do this. Like, well, I don't I don't think that was the intention of right. us with this tool. So how do you how do you help people get past the the envy part and then find yeah. that awesome, you know, kind of sweet spot of you're good at this, I'm better at this, this is my strength, this is your strength. How do we how do we get together? Yeah, not have not having a theme is not an excuse for for not doing something, right? So I've heard people say, "Well, I didn't get it done, but I don't have achiever in my top five. Well, you're about to have time to learn about achieving in another job, then, right? Or, well, I turned it in late, but that's okay because I don't have responsibility. Well, you don't get to be a jerk just because you don't have responsibility. So, yeah, not having a theme shouldn't be an excuse. So the world would be easier for me if everybody had maximizer, relator, belief, woo, and positivity in their top five. Because after 44 years of doing this, I feel like I'm catching on to what those themes are all about. Um, But the key isn't to just understand what my themes are and then project those onto my team and onto my students and this kind of thing. The key is to be real with who I am, but then also appreciate who are you and who is she and who are they and how can I, how can we work together? So I might have maximizer as one of my top themes. You might have restorative as one of yours. I like to make things perfect. You like to fix broken stuff. We're both necessary, but our approach to things might look a little different. Or I might lead with a lot of activator. Actually, I know you probably lead with a lot of activator and someone else might lead with a lot of deliberative. Well, activator is the gas pedal that just speeds things up. Deliberative says, wait, let's make sure this is right before we start. And activator is like, no, let's figure it out on the way. And and I don't know, one's like the gas pedal, one's like the brake pedal. And I'm not a car guy, but I think if you push both of them at the same time, it's hard on the engine. So the key here is figure out who am I, who are you, and how are we going to make this work? Um, my wife and I actually have three of the same top five themes. And sometimes that's awesome. We both have maximizer. We both have positivity. We both have belief. Belief can be a little sticky sometimes because mm-hmm. belief is about 
really caring deeply about certain things that are mission critical. And there's kind of a stubborn element to it if you're not careful. And as long as we agree, it's awesome. But if I'm wrong, which is usually what happens if we don't agree, um, <laughs> we've got to figure that out, right? Yeah. And so we both are passionate. And if our passion is about the same thing, then we're an awesome team. And if not, we got to stop and figure it out before we move forward, or it can really, it can really cause some challenges. Well, and I'll tell you, as an activator in my top five, very close to the top top. Um, I it, it is not good for me to be around four or five activators if we have to get something done because okay. we're visioning all over each other and then the conflict comes into place. No, 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 no. I like it this way. And then it becomes a hierarchical kind of boxing match of, well, nah, at the end of the day, I get to. And what I found, and, and that's my next question for you is, when, when people are building a team and when they're hiring, how do you effectively do this? Because I need disciplined people around me mm -hmm. to positively anchor me to say mm -hmm. like, no, this can't happen. And then I need to be around them to push them. And that's that leadership is anyone yeah. who has influence over another person. Like, you know, if I, an activator with woo, I always think is a pretty dangerous human being because mm -hmm. we can convince people to do a lot of things and then walk out of the room and then they sit there with kind of like commitment regret, <laughs> what just happened, right? Yeah. So, so how are you coaching and teaching around, you know, finding those complementary strengths to just get the greatest capacity? Yeah. You know, one thing I caution against is people will say, well, I think it'd be great if we had somebody who has, you know, achiever and competition and discipline and, and relator and responsibility. Cause those, those themes seem like a great fit for this role. The assessment's never been validated for selection. Um, there's 278,256 different combinations of top five. So if you think about other assessments, big five, newsflash, there's five different personality types there. Uh, with Myers-Briggs, there's 16 different types. Enneagram has nine with some wings. But, you know, the Clifton Strengths Assessment has like a quarter of a million, you know, people. So I'm sitting in, you know, at Lincoln, Nebraska. There, I might be the only person in Lincoln who has maximized or relator belief, woo, positivity in my top five. So if I said those are the right themes, um, I need to find somebody else like that. I better have a whole bunch of great recruiters because we might have to interview everybody in town before I find another one with those themes. So I'm careful from a selection standpoint. Don't look for certain themes. I think when people want to use the the Clifton Strengths as part of a selection process. It's appropriate if they do it. Once you've identified your finalists for a position, invite them to take the assessment, read through their report. And, you know, in the next interview, I want you to tell me more about who you are through the lens of your strengths. And I'll do the same as the hiring manager. And then let's figure out if we can make this work or not. And so I think that's a more productive way to, to think about strengths. Um, there are some competencies that you need to search for that are more knowledge and skills, you know, things that can be trained. So if you know you're, you know, I know you're fast moving and and you got a lot going on and you need someone maybe who would who would be real organized and help you out with that. You can interview for that without seeing like a particular theme of discipline or a ranger, you know, in the top five. There's a lot of ways to get there, but that's the outcome you need in a partner. So you want to interview them and find out, you know, can you help me with this? Would that kind of thing excite you? You know, would you would you like to help keep me organized or would you like to, you know, follow through after I complete an event with, the, you know, and analyze the data and the evaluation? And so it's really about finding complementary partners. Um, sometimes you can identify that through one of the top five themes, but, but a lot of times it's more figure out how can you use what you have to get to that outcome and uh, usually you can find a pretty good fit. 
Is there any any wisdom in trying to avoid? Okay, so I'll back up here. So in our organization, we use this as really an opportunity tool for us to coach people to their strengths, to yeah. continue to guide development uh, towards their strengths where they where they naturally would go to. Yeah. I, I sometimes hear people like, "Oh, we got to train up," you know down below into those weakness areas. This isn't mm-hmm. a weakness tool, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's really calibrated at the top of the report. So there's things, we don't even talk about them as weaknesses. Um, we talk about your top, if you've got your full 34 list, your top themes are your dominant themes or your, you know, and that's usually for most people, eight or 10 themes that that are really dominant and they're, they're kind of stuck in the on position. You can turn them down or turn them off if you need to, but it's a conscious decision. They're, they're your natural um, approach. The middle themes, the, the middle 10 or so themes we'd call um, supporting themes. So, you know, something that's number 10 or 12 or 15 on your report, it may not be your default setting, but it doesn't take a lot of effort to go there, right? So for me, competition is mid-range. When I'm on the golf course, when I'm playing a board game with the family or something, I can get competitive um, and I can kind of play that up. But if my entire day was measuring where am I compared to others, that would feel exhausting to me. That's just not, that's just not a big deal to me. The themes down at the bottom of the report, we call them your lesser talents, so we don't call them your weaknesses. Now, if you waste a lot of time trying to be good at them, then they might become a weakness. But a weakness is just anything that gets in the way of your success. Usually things at the bottom of your report aren't necessarily weaknesses. Um, they're just non-talent. So my number 34 is context. Um Context is a love for history and perspective and knowing how did we get here so that we don't repeat this moving forward. That hasn't typically tripped me up. Um, my dad has context in his top five. So I know when we spend time together, he's going to want to give me the backstory and tell me how we got here. And and so now that I know that about him, I can appreciate that. But I don't typically lead with context um, or ideation or some of the other themes at the bottom of my report there's times I need a partner to help me out with that. But unless I spend a lot of time trying to fix it, it's probably not a weakness. It's just a an opportunity to partner with somebody else. So switching topics, because this, I mean, obviously we could talk about this all night or all day. Um, what is going on in the world? Like what new findings have you gotten in your mm-hmm. professorship or your executive director role? Yeah. Like what are what are some things that people should be paying attention to? You know, um, yeah, that's a, you started kind of broad there. What's going on in the world? And I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have a clue, but, um, <laughs> but I feel like at least for a minute here, the world's back on its axis and things seem to be going okay right now. So what I think we're seeing as far as a, a macro workplace trend, people are reemerging from covering for each other. You know, it's been, I don't know, two and a half years since the onset of the pandemic, something like that. And I think we're, we're feeling like things are pretty normal right now, but because we challenged so many assumptions over the last couple of years, we're not going to go back to where we were before. Um, you know, remote work is a hot topic. Some people talk about all the time. When I, when I talk to a student who's a few months into a new job and I say, Hey, how's it going over at the, at the, at your new job? And they say, it's awesome. I can wear whatever I want. And I only have to go in the office on Fridays. I just feel sad for them because for them, the win is, I get paid and I don't have to go in the office. Now I'm all about flexibility. I mean, Gallup's research showed that that autonomy was the most desired workplace perk before the pandemic. So of course it is now, but if the best thing about your job is that you don't have to go in the office, what a miss, you know? 
What if you love your job so much you wish you could be there every day, but you choose to work from home three days a week because it works better for your family? Awesome. Say that, you know, but if, yeah. if the win is not having to go to work, I don't feel like that's a great job, you know? So right. I think we're challenging some of that now. Well, and I think one of the things that will be harder for new to the work field when they have jobs like that is uh, what will happen when the transitions come around and production may be a little different because there isn't that on-time accidental collaboration. There isn't a shift, uh, a, the ability to shift quickly with your networking and communication. Right. And one of the things that you shared this summer at the leadership retreat with me and our team and everybody present was how little micro things coming out of like the central office or the headquarters or corporate were like those micro um, decisions were basically creating a death of a thousand cuts for mm -hmm. home office people. Talk, do you, do you remember that? Talk to us about that. Yeah, That was fascinating to me because that changed our operating procedure by my office because we have a lot of, we have a lot of home office people. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to having regular interaction with your coworkers, whether that be a scheduled Zoom meeting or a check-in with your manager. Um, but yeah, nothing's staying the same right now. So it is it is challenging to stay in the loop if you're if you're remote. Um, it's funny that people assume if you're remote, you might not be working as hard as if you were in the office because they can't see you as if you were working all the time when you were in the office anyway. You know, if you're measuring outcomes for the role well, then you don't have to worry about the process so much. You don't have to worry about what time of day or or uh, you know where they are when they when they do the work. Now, obviously, some jobs. I mean, I'm in a student facing role on campus. It's hard for me to be available to students if I'm never on campus. So I I love you know being available, and that's a lot of my kind of other duties as described part of my job. But yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of it just comes down to having a regular check in with your manager, um, and I, I'd say once a week, even just for a few minutes. And if it was if the conversation was Ted, what are you working on this week and how can I help? That might be enough. You know, what are your goals and, and how's your progress towards those goals? And then let you figure it out. But if you're working with adults and you want to treat them like adults, I, I haven't met anybody in a long time who likes being micromanaged. So define the outcomes and then offer some support, but mostly get out of the way. Yeah. And I think that's one of those pieces that, you know, we both, we do to adults and kids is we're not really cognizant of all the little micro shifts and changes. So this summer you had shared with us like the 10 things that were basically uh, creating turnover for home office employees. And what mm -hmm. it was, it boiled down to a misalignment of organizational communication. So, you know, one, the, the uh, HR department sends out a, you know, please make sure to have the following forms filled out by Thursday. Technology sends out something that, hey, you have to authenticate 52 times before you can log in on your computer. And then senior management and then your manager and then, but they're not seeing all of those little micro things. And I think that in an age where you do spend a lot of time isolated, even kids who go to school all day still come home and they're isolated, really messes with your mindset uh, and your ability to be engaged. You know, I'm not, I'm not a futurist and I don't, I don't understand all the macro trends, but I, I sure do understand from one generation to another, you know, when, when I was growing up, if, you know, if, whether you wanted to watch Seinfeld or whatever show was cool, you know, back in, in your youth, we, we'd have these shared experiences where we were all focused on, you know, what happened on this show last night or that show. 
And, and the only, because we didn't have VCRs and we couldn't DVR it and it wasn't on demand. And so we had these collective experiences. And right now, other than maybe live sports, there's not a lot that you have to wait for or that you're all watching at the same time. So we've kind of lost some of those collective experiences. Now we've lost that at the expense of having some awesome individualized experiences. I mean, I can watch anything I want to right now on any one of the number of streaming services that, that show up in my house. But tomorrow when I see you at the office, you watch something different than I did. So in a way, I think um, while it's better for me as an individual, I'm not sure it's better for us as a community. And so we've got to make sure we've got those shared experiences. I think that's why, and you've been a master at, at creating gatherings and places for people to be together. You could do that virtually. I don't think it's the same. I think oh. when, when people go meet at a picnic table or they, they share a barbecue or, you know, there's some of those moments, place matters. And I think we got to create those moments that the people get together and have that shared experience where we were all kind of there together. It wasn't just a recording that you could watch at one and a half speed after the fact and say that you were there. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. I, th I think I, I, I said this to somebody just this morning when I was coaching a, a superintendent, anyone who says that they enjoy zooms is someone who is only a guest in the zoom. Hmm. Because if you are running a meeting in a Zoom and you have nothing but black screens with a name and a red microphone that's muted and you're <laughs> delivering content and you have no interaction, you have no idea. You yeah. throw those same people in a room together and you have all the physical things, the, the connections. And that's why like the, the world as we move forward, you know, with strengths and, and focusing on those different pieces for engagement, Tim, that's it'll be fun to yeah. keep talking, you know, every quarter about about things Love like this. It. You know, part of my part of my dissertation, I looked at mirror neurons. And so even just making eye contact with someone and smiling and and adjusting your posture, like we we mirror the the actions and, and we react to other people, that doesn't happen as much over screens. And there's a lot of other research that's that's dug into the the value of just being together. And I yeah, I I think we'll crave that. I think I hope we'll prioritize that more moving forward. Yeah, I, I have to share something with you. So <laughs> please, with, with the mirror neurons, I, I can't remember which book I read, but it was basically like if you cross your arms in a conversation, the person across from you will likely cross their arms. If you turn your body position, they'll turn their body position. So once I was armed with that knowledge, now when I'm in conversations with people, and I, I hope no one I work with is listening to this, but I will, I will like cross my arms and turn my body and then watch them cross their arms and turn their body. I'm like, this is incredible because I just, I can't. And then I find myself on occasion sitting across from somebody and I'm like, I'm doing exactly what they're doing. Put your hands up, yeah. put your arms up. And then I'll see yeah. them do the same thing. Human connectedness is something that I think we need to become more cognitive. And, and again, understanding each other's strengths and what we bring to the table, uh, yeah. I think it's super helpful with engagement as well. Well, and, I, and you, you do a great job of laying out, you know, with Buffalo leadership and getting people to initiate and, and take take responsibility. I think there's a tension between initiating and responding. Some days it just feels good to get to the bottom of your inbox or it feels good to clear off your desk or whatever. But if, if you spend all your time responding or or reacting to what other people are saying, you're not really leading. I mean, leaders got to initiate and, you know, don't wait to see someone else posture. Be the kind of posture you want the meeting to have, you know, lead that and other people react react to you on that. I know you've, you've, you built that into your network real well, but I, I think if we sit back and watch, it's, it's probably not going to be a story we want to be a part of, but if we take initiative, I, I think we can write a pretty great story together. And, you know, the next time we get together, we'll probably, we will focus more upon the engagement part of, of mm -hmm. life and the workforce. But like, 
What is what is a trend you're hearing or seeing or or engagement advice you have for people who lead? Yeah, I've worked with a few organizations, even even just this you know this fall. I feel like we're reemerging right now, and in a lot of organizations, what what we're noticing is it's time to shore up the basics. So when we talk about the employee engagement elements, you know, I know what's expected of me at work, and I have the op- uh, materials and equipment I need to do my work right, and I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. Those three items are number one, two, and three on the survey. In a lot of organizations, people are challenging that and questioning that. So, you know, maybe two years ago, I covered for you because you were out sick or you were taking care of somebody or your bandwidth wasn't strong enough to lead that meeting or whatever. So we covered for each other. Well, now that we're kind of through all that, um, I want to come back and revisit what is it that I do best and what are the um, expectations for my role. And and I think, I mean, almost no one's job is exactly the same as it was two or three years ago. So that's a trend I think we're seeing where as we reemerge, it's a time to redefine, not just for new employees, but for all of us, what's expected, who are you at your best, who are you becoming? I just had a, a staff transition in my office at the university and great employee left, but it created an opportunity for the rest of us to say, who does what best? And rather than just hire to fill the position of the person that left, we tweak the job description enough to say what what's right for where we're headed and, and how can we build into that? But I think it's kind of a chance to go back to the basics and say, who are you at the core? What are your goals? How can I help you get there? Um, we're seeing that trend more than anecdotally, at least we're seeing that trend more than than in the past. And I think that's a really critical point as well is that opportunities that present themselves when there's a, a shift, a change, a loss, mm-hmm. and and having that mindset in that. I mean, yeah. again, we, too many people like lose a Tim and then they're like, we got to find another Tim. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we, we need to go beyond that. And that's, that's why I loved your advice earlier on with the Strengths Finder, that it's really not a tool to use when you're onboarding people or you're, you're hiring people. It's a, it's a complimentary piece because... I found if I if when I've been on hiring committees, people like to hire people like them. And then that's mm-hmm. how you get all this accidental conflict down the road because well, right. we can't change because we we just replaced ourselves. Well, and if you're a school leader and you try and hire more people like you, that's fine as long as every single kid that comes through the door is like you, which hopefully is not the case for either of, of us or the, no, the teachers no. who led us over the years, Boy, right? Well, man, if I was principal of that place, it'd be a heck of a lot of fun, but it would not be, be a great three days before the place burned down. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, Tim, I really uh, have appreciated your time with me today. And, and again, you guys, uh, anybody listening, if they want to get a hold of you, how would they? how would they do that? Yeah, you know, my uh, my main job is at the University of Nebraska. My email there is just my last name, Hodges. So it's H-O-D-G-E-S at U-N-L dot E-D-U. So that email address is probably the easiest place to get a hold of me. And and uh, yeah, glad to connect if there's if there's interest. And thanks again for the work you and your team are doing, Ted. This is I've enjoyed learning from you and with you and and uh, love to love to do this again if you like. Yeah, and Tim, um for the listeners, the I met Tim a couple of years ago, and and he and I have worked together at my summer leadership institute for the last two years. And uh, it's one of those pieces where he presents and I get a little jealous, like, darn it, I wish I would have thought of that. And then he gets up there. He's like, you knob, I had to delete three slides because I didn't even know you were going to talk about we were talking about the same thing. So I I appreciate our friendship and partnership and, and supporting the leadership of others. So, Tim, you were awesome on the podcast today. And thank you. Thank you.
Let's do some smart thinking. Who in your world needs to hear this? What are your strengths and how are you growing and building them? And knowing that the world is heading in a different direction, what will you do different in order to support those around you in their success? That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening and please make sure to share this episode with those who need to hear it and follow the Well Pennies on whatever music platform that you follow. Okay, so as we close out here, it went a little longer than normal, but I appreciate you hanging with us because at the end of the day, one of the things that we have an obligation for as leaders is to ensure that we are focusing on the needs of others and to see them for what they bring, for what their strengths are, and for the different ways in which they impact everyone around them with the skills and qualities that they carry within them. As leaders, I think it's always very important for us to be watching for what are the strengths in others. Following Tim and the different ideas that he brought up today and the different perspectives and the way to look at it, I think what's important is for us always to remember to be empathetic and looking at the world around us for our opportunity to not just support the strengths, but to find others to fill in the gaps and be intentional every single day with our own leadership. All right, friends, we're going to end this with a little bit of the well pennies. Why? Well, Tim Hodges has been listening for a long time, and he and I grew a great professional relationship and friendship based upon all the different ways in which we see the world and leadership. Tim is an expert and someone I really, really admire, and he sparks me all of the time, which is why today's song is Spark by the Well Pennies. <laughs>